This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two fantastic human beings, Nick White. Hey. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm super excited to talk about comic books. I read some books that people ask me to read, and boy, does that make me angry. We're going to get into it in a minute here, but you know, I'm going to ask you two the question that I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick. Um, you know, things things are good. Uh, things are good for being someone who just dumped about four to five ounces of scalding hot water on their left hand. Um, nice. I'm taking nice. the appropriate precautions. I've already started teaching myself how to write with my right hand, and um, you know, uh, <laughs> this just. It, it, Didn't they it, write a book about this called The Crucible? Isn't that what that was about? Was it? I don't know. I, don't I, know. I barely remember that. Like, do, Mike, do, like, does any like life situation just somehow become an Arthur Miller play for you? <laughs> yes, hey, absolutely. Uh, hey, was that Death of a Salesman? Did that happen in that? that no, Mike, that it didn't. <laughs> that was not part of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He was married to Marilyn Monroe. Anyway, um, okay, okay. <laughs> so, um, b- beyond that experience, which uh, overrated, three out of ten, would not recommend. Um, if if uh, if if you're gonna if you're gonna make tea or coffee, may- maybe use lukewarm water. Who cares what the purists say? It's fine. Um, mm-hmm. Beyond that, M- Michigan Weather Watch. Uh, it snowed a couple inches today. I'm sure it'll be gone tomorrow, uh, and it'll be like 40 degrees and probably raining. And uh, look, I know that this opinion is going to really rattle some people, uh, but I'm not here to make friends. Uh, global warming. There might be some. There might. There might be something to it. I don't know. Uh, like go on the internet, just put global warming question mark. Just Google that. See what happens. There might be some information there. I don't know. Um, Nick, I just want to I just want to chime in here. Um, so I I said the Crucible. I meant Johnny Tremaine. Those are two the Crucible. Not even close. I'm sorry about that, everyone. I meant Johnny <laughs> yeah. Tremaine. Isn't that about the um, Salem witchcraft? Trials? Yeah, the Crucible's about the witch Salem witch trials. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I just had to interrupt with that. I just wanted everyone to know that I'm not stupid. I'm just dumb. Uh, <laughs> Nick, what comics have you been reading though? <laughs> <laughs> god um so i i read ascender volume one i know i'm a little late to the party on this one um truth be told i think this is just another situation of me being really lazy and not wanting to have to fish out some old singles issues to try Mm -hmm. to re uh sort of figure everything out i read the first issue or two when they originally came out and to be honest i wasn't totally sold on it uh i know gasp um I think part of it was that Descender was a little long in the tooth when it wrapped. I kind of felt it went on a little too long. And so finding a series that still kind of had one foot in that Descender camp, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't totally crazy on that. And I think part of wow. it for me is just when an artist I really, really love, um, even if they're on a project that I really, really love and, and, and I appreciate, um, there's like a certain point where I go, okay, like, you're so talented. I would I would love to see you try something different. Um, I think for a lot of people, they sort of had this feeling about Greg Capullo for the longest time. Uh, and then he mm-hmm. did Reborn. And then we said, you, you know what? You, you can go back and draw Batman. That's fine. <laughs> That's okay. 
lots of hot <laughs> yeah. takes today. Um, yes. And honestly, Reborn was Reborn from an art perspective was fine. Um, so yeah, Ascender sort of shifts the series from sci-fi to fantasy spaceships still exist but they're now living organisms magic has basically replaced technology um we're following this girl named mila and her father andy who might seem familiar for a few red descender um (laughs) (laughs) and um they're now living in this pre-tech age thanks to this lady who seems to be a witch named Mother. She's hunting down and destroying all of the tech because, understandably, she has a mastery over magic. And so she sees any technology that stands as sort of challenging her uh, position. Um But at a certain point in the book, uh, a little cute robot falls out of the sky, is found by the previous owner's child, and while trying to be fixed, shoots out a hologram. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Uh, Help me, (laughs) Obi-Wan Kenobi. You help my father in the Clone Wars. Yes. Um, So, yeah. Uh, Star Wars, uh, comparisons aside, uh, it's really interesting to see the color palette shift from Descender to Ascender. It's, It's quite different. Uh, and this book pulls off a reveal at the end of the volume that kind of reminds me of the sorts of moves that you can only see pulled off in a comic book. Uh, there's Absolutely. a really, really stellar twist here. Um, for those wondering about the big question, uh, can you read this without having read Descender? Uh, like, Lemire offers a light refresher on certain parts of Descender, it's more oriented towards readers who need to recall Descender and not those who never read it in the first place. I would not recommend reading this without Descender. I think a lot of the um, emotional beats sort of fall flat if you can't or don't relate to some of the characters that are from Mm -hmm. Descender. Minor spoilers. Um, Briefly, I'll just discuss uh, another big book that I read was Doctor Tomorrow Number 1 by Alejandro Arbona and drawn by Jim Toey. Uh, the book comes out on February 19th. It's not out yet. So this is an exclusive. Xander, you can bum, do bum. bass sound effects or uh, air horns right here. Okay, I hope I've left you enough room. Thank you. One, one more air horn right here. Yep, that's the one. Thank you. Perfect, um, perfect. So... Arbona might not be a real familiar writer uh, for people. Uh, he's largely known because he's edited Lazarus, Black Magic, Old Guard. Gee, I think there's a Greg Rucka commonality there. Um, mm-hmm. He also had a work in Love is Love, the anthology. Um, and he was an editor for Marvel and Valiant. Um, and as some of us know who read a lot of comics or are familiar with sort of behind the scenes, the transition from editor to writer is pretty common. Um uh, a lot of people don't know John Lehman was actually Warren Ellis's editor on Planetary. Mm-hmm. So this sort mm-hmm. of stuff happens all the time. Uh, interestingly, there's a West Michigan connection with this book. Um, the writer, sorry, the uh, um, artist, Jim Toey, uh, actually graduated from Kendall College of Art and Design in Grand Rapids uh, oh, cool. and now lives on the east side of the state. He actually got his start when he just posted some character fan art designs for Rob Liefeld's Youngblood. And Rob Liefeld said, cool, I want to do that book again. Do you want to draw it? And (laughs) that was literally it. It's a very Rob Liefeld story, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, As for the book itself, uh, Toei's art is 
very comic book, all caps, and I mean that in a good way. It's bright, it's energetic, it's fun. Uh, I can really see this book as being something that can appeal to younger and older readers alike. Um, There are some pretty deep cuts as far as Valiant books go. You can tell that this guy was an editor for Valiant because he's like, you can tell that the man has spent a lot of time with the Valiant, like, character Bible, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, So, yeah, I don't want to say too much about the plot other than... Uh, there's a superhero named Dr. Tomorrow. We follow him at the beginning of the book. We're also following a kid named Bart Sims who has an interest in physics. We follow him for another part of the book. I don't want to say much more about the relationship between them or where they're from or anything like this uh, because I think there are some interesting twists going on here that um, I just want people to discover for themselves. So book comes out February 19th. I, I would definitely give this a read. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of the preview art on CBR right now, and the art here reminds me a lot of Mark Bagley, but the faces, for some reason, remind me of Greg Capullo. I don't don't know how else to describe it other than that, but yeah, I mean, it looks like a really cool, like you said, very comic book comic book, and there is nothing wrong with that. It looks really good, but it's very much a superhero book, like a capes book. Um, Literally a capes book. (laughs) I mean, it's it's crazy, because literally you get to, like, page three of the book, and and someone must have had to send him the dreaded email that goes, hey, how do you feel about drawing each and every character in the Valiant universe into a big splash page uh, as like a really <laughs> awful, like hazing rite of passage mm-hmm, <laughs> ritual mm-hmm. in joining Valiant? And he, and he does a great job. He does a great job. So That's awesome. Uh, Kate, what about you? What have you been up to? How have you, have you been? How have comic books been? Good. My entry into the global warming discussion is that I cleaned seven inches of snow off my car yesterday to go to a Comic-Con. Okay, so Kate is one of the believers <laughs> that uh, global warming is not a thing. Gotcha. Oh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm oh kidding. No. Um, Tell us what you think about vaccines, Kate. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Kate, what did you do yesterday instead? <laughs> I went to the Byron Center Comic-Con, which was three or four blocks from my house, which was pretty sweet. Um, and I tabled there for the podcast, and we had pretty much anything on our, our merch site on the, the table physically in front of me. So that was kind of cool. Um, I talked to some creators, um, a few other vendors. I sold some things, gave away a lot of business cards and bookmarks, which was kind of the point. Like, hey, listen to Hooray. us. Listen to our podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Be our friend. <laughs> so that was a good time. It was only five hours, and Brian came out to help me for a little bit of it. So that was nice. One nice guy. Yeah. Um, I've read a couple of things recently. I think my favorite one was How to Treat Magical Beasts, Volume 1. And I also grabbed Volumes 2 and 3, which was Mm -hmm. a good decision. Um, This is by Kazia, and I grabbed it because the title sounds like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, a la Harry Potter. And Mm -hmm. I was not incorrect. It's got a cute female protagonist who's training to become kind of like a veterinarian type person, except that she has some kind of magical knowledge, kind of maybe like a like a hedge witch type knowledge, um, uses lots of herbs for medicines, things like that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she keeps finding these magical beasts that are otherwise kind of slowly going extinct one by one and and helping them out and returning them to health and everything. And her her master, because she's an apprentice, so her apprentice master, not the weird kind of master. Anyway. Sure. Um, <laughs> I thought you were talking about Doctor Who. 
I don't know, her arch enemy? I don't know, maybe. Uh, he seems to know more than he's letting on about magical beasts. So I'm, grab- okay. I'm glad that I grabbed volumes two and three from the library when I found volume one. Did this? I just looked up the preview art for this. It look, looks like a very cute book. I mean, Yen Press does a lot of these books um, that are kind of like on the cutesy side of things. And um, usually they're very good books too. Like, don't get me wrong. But um, the art of this feels, feels very like what you would expect out of a manga in terms of like cute little chibi kind of girl and but the the scenery and stuff like that in the background looks beautiful um i'm glad that you like the first volume because it sounds like you're diving into volumes two and three already yeah and the the magical beasts are also really unique like they kind of look like one of them kind of looks like a salamander and then you find out that it's a fire salamander and it like bursts into flame and goes into a lamp and like it like has this this like eternal flame lamp now that has a creature in it <laughs> gotcha so interesting yeah beautiful art um the, the girl looks like she's like five or six you know in in the way that manga does uh but she mm-hmm. you, you find out toward the end of the book that she's like 13 so okay aging like this is maybe a coming of age story as well right right um yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, it sounds like it's right up the same alley of my, my big favorite comic book, or manga, I should say, uh, Delicious in Dungeon. Um, this this sounds like it's right up my alley. I might have to check this out. Yeah, my, sure. Mike has two mangas he's really interested in. There's the ones where you catch animals and the ones where you eat animals. Those are those are the two yep. categories of interest. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> Um, well, for me, uh, I sat down and read a couple things. I, I got copies of Finger Guns, number one and two, so I sat down and read those. This is by Justin Richards with art by um, Val Halverson and colors by Rebecca Nulty. Uh, I will say this is a really fun book. It's it's coming out from Vault Comics, and it's kids that, these two kids, they have the ability to point their fingers and sh- shoot energy out of them um but it's not like lasers or anything instead it's like emotionally influencing and maybe that's a bit of a spoiler um but i I read through these two issues and they were the like some of the fastest comics i've read in a while very easy to read the art is beautiful i mean val halverson with rebecca nulty's colors i I just want to say that like it, the book has this weird thing where it's cartoony, but it has the preciseness of something like a Four Kids Walk Into the Bank or a David Aha, where all the backgrounds are these beautifully well-crafted, super minimalist, but extremely expressive backgrounds. And then the main characters themselves, um, Wes and, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Wes and, Sadie. Uh, where, is, where are my notes? Sadie, thank you. Uh, they, uh, they have like this cartoonish look to them that kind of looks like a Scott Pilgrim style or maybe Steven Universe's way that I described it in my notes here. Um, it, it's a beautiful looking book. The, the concept is very simple. It's about it's an unfolding uh, story of friendship and kinship where two people have kind of rough backgrounds that are very different and they come together because of this strange common thing that happens to them where they have this ability with these finger guns. I don't want to go into it too much further than that because I really think that if, you, if you're if you into something simple, that's going to be a really easy read um, and that's not like an insult to the book. Like I, I churned through these books so quickly because it was that well paced, it was that well written. Um, finger guns number one and two, fantastic. I, I'm so looking forward to number three. Um, Vault Comics, I feel like, nails it a lot of the times, and this is exactly an example of them just knocking it out of the park. So I highly recommend Finger Guns 1 and 2. 
Uh, as, as far as the other thing that I read, this is the book that I'm super mad at because Danny, our, our good friend over, uh, for the show, uh, he, he was like, Mike, I really want to know what you think of X-Men slash Fantastic Four number one because I kind of called it out last week and talked about how I don't know why these books exist. What's the point? I know Franklin Richards is a, is a mutant, but you know, I did it. I read it. I read the damn X-Men book. It's a fucking teen angst. It's the Marauders helping Franklin Richards. I mean, essentially the concept is the Fantastic Four sucks because Dad Richards Richards is such a dad he doesn't let anybody do anything and like that sucks and I'm a, I'm a teenager I can do whatever I want and like you know what you can't stop me from going to Krakoa and then it turns out he can how and all this stuff it's a, it's a big old mystery we end up with Franklin and Valera in a pretty tough spot um, after Kitty Pride and the Marauders come and talk to Reed Richards and the family like hey man like we understand that your son is your son and you guys are a family but like his actual family are mutants and that he should come home to Krakoa which kind of offers up a lot of big like question about some things that are like way deep into the ethics pool that I probably can't answer um the thing that I that I like about this book is I do like the the friction between the X-Men and the Fantastic 4 um I think it's really well written I think Chip Zdarsky does a good job of arguing for both sides in terms of like should Franklin stay or should he go um, I've never really been a big person who is into the Fantastic Four, so I don't really have a lot of um, uh, inf- information or background with them, other than like the Ultimate Fantastic Four stuff that I read, which I realize is way, way, way different than 616 Fantastic Four. Um, but ultimately, like this was a good issue. I'm probably going to keep reading it because it's a four-issue miniseries. I think if it was ongoing, there's no way in hell I could commit to caring about the Fantastic <laughs> Four um for that long but sure. uh, for a four issue miniseries to under explore the background with franklin that's interesting um the one thing that i do want to call out is i i thought like i think that the problem that i had with this book um on the whole though was that it's really messy in terms of how the characters in the story are managed i think zadarsky does a great job of capturing the fantastic four really well maybe johnny blaze feels kind of one note in this ser- in this issue but Reed Richards and Sue Storm, fantastic. Um, I think Ben Grimm is very well done as well. I think his connection to the X-Men based on their long history is really interesting. He has a nice moment with Storm. Um, but the problem is with the X-Men. I think Zadarsky nails Kitty Pride, but everyone else feels like a placeholder. Like The only reason they're there is because Kitty's on the Marauders team. So Storm is only there to fix the weather. And Pyro is only there to be creepy. And at this point, I couldn't... And Bishop's there just to be like the badass but like I, I feel like the series was unnecessary like you could have just done a story where kitty pride shows up and leaves the marauders to go do something else and the story would have been the exact same but instead it feels like the rest of the x-men on that team are kind of shoehorned into the story if only to say remember these guys are also on the team um this is kind of also the problem i have with the marauders book on the whole i think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on because i did read marauders number seven i don't want to go into too deep because i realize i'm already talking a lot but Really, I think the X office could have done this mini a little bit better. They could have not forced the group dynamic on Zadarsky because, in my opinion, from the few things that I've read by him, I think he does solo characters a lot better than group dynamics. Um, maybe that's just me. I'd love to hear anybody else out there who's read other stuff from Zadarsky because, like I said, I haven't read a ton of his stuff um, to know how well he handles, handles groups. But really, I, I liked the, the interaction between Franklin and Valera. Um, that's really interesting. I like the way that Franklin and Kitty interacted like old friends, even though their their connection happened like back in 1987 so like how we're doing aging here is a big old question mark but that's a whole other discussion um one side note i want to i want to make really quick 
kind of weird that Valera is named Valera, like Franklin is Franklin under, you know, he's the son of Reed and, and Sue. Valera is the son of Sue and Dr. Doom. He lives in Latveria, is all I'm saying. Latveria is pretty close to Valera, you know, I don't know, in my head that makes sense. Maybe I'm just going insane. Anyways, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Let's talk about comic books that are coming out this upcoming week. I thought that was really funny when I wrote it down, and then I said it out loud, and I sounded stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, welcome to the theme of this episode. Um, books are coming coming out on February 12, 2020. What are you guys excited for this week? Let's start with you, Nick. Uh, so, for me, it's going to be Tartarus number 1. This is written by Johnny Christmas and drawn by Jack T. Cole. So it's being plugged as a new adventure series with all the sci-fi drama of Breaking Bad set in Moss Eisley. Promising young, young cadet Tilda is framed for crimes against the Empire after discovering her mother was the ruthless warlord of the deadly colony Tartarus, a vital player in the Galactic War. Now Tilda's only way home may be to reclaim her mother's dark crown. Which, I mean, um, yeah, it doesn't sound like the most original thing out there, to be honest. Uh, I'm mainly game because uh, I'm pretty sold on Johnny Christmas. Um, For those Mm -hmm. unaware, Christmas recently drew the adaptation of William Gibson's original screenplay for Alien 3, uh, and he somehow wrangled Gibson's convoluted script into something semi-followable. So in that regard, he has my respect. Uh, He's also the creator of Firebug, and he drew Sheltered uh, with Ed Brisson. I'm mainly on board for Jack T. Cole. Uh, he's a relative newcomer. He's perhaps best known for drawing the Unsound for Boom Comics, which was written by Colin Bunn. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, a horror comic in a sanitarium, which, uh, honestly, the art was the strength. It was a real convoluted, messed up read of a book, but the art was really, really solid. Uh, he's also drawn the web comic Epicurean's Exile. I don't know much more about that. Uh, so yeah, honestly, I, I think the big thing here is Cole. Uh, he's a really stellar artist. I think he's uh, an up, a real up and comer and his art is just genuinely uniquely his own. Uh, and, and Christmas, while I don't really know him that much as a writer, um, like I said, his ability to turn Gibson's script into something semi, a, you know, something you could actually kind of follow because the script was sort of a mess. Um, yeah. You know, I, I respect that. So that's that's my pick. Very cool. Kate, what about you? What are you excited for this week? So I noticed that Rat Queen's Volume 7 is coming out and the subtitle is The Once and Future King, which really uh, perks my ears up. Um, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Kate, you are in for a treat. I just want to say that. Well... I'll, I'll get there. Hold on a second. So okay, first okay. of all, the creative team is uh, a new creative team. Ryan Ferrier with art by Marco Lesko and Priscilla Petrates, Petrates. It's a beautiful looking name. I don't know how to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the description is a vengeful presence from their past comes back to haunt them and that it's a new era for the Rat Queens. So I'm super excited. But this sounds darker than the Rat Queens has been before, which has been pretty dark. And mm-hmm. it sounded kind of brand new. Like, I couldn't come up with what that, that past thing might be. Um, and some of the other things in the description sounded new. And then I realized I somehow missed volume six. And mm-hmm. I don't know how. I'm usually so on top of checking to make sure that I haven't missed a trade for Rat Queens or putting it in my calendar so that I that I special order it. And I don't have it in my house, and it's not marked as read in Goodreads. So I guess I'm going to go to my comic shop and buy Volume 6 and 7 this week. 
<laughs> well, I will say, Kate. I mean, Curtis Wybie. I think he 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 definitely. I know he said he was he wanted the series to continue, but he didn't feel like he was the right person to write it after all of the the drama that's happened in the series. But handing it over to Ryan Ferrier, I think is he said was a natural fit. I, I've been reading through the single issues since it you know forever. Yeah, and he did a big long piece at the end, um, handing it over to Ryan. I think is a supernatural fit. He said, and I will say, having read the single issues that go into this volume, um, like I said, you are in for a treat, okay, and I great. think you're really gonna dig it. I've really um, missed the especially Queens, so that. Well, that's what I'm saying, and I think that you're someone that you know you've been reading it for the longest time, so like, it's it's definitely gonna be super rewarding, and I, I really enjoyed the arc that they did. That's good. That's great to hear because I've somehow mm-hmm. not read it for the last two years. <laughs> well it's fine you know it's easy to miss when you're on a you're reading a book that has like numerous months of hiatus and unknowns and it's never properly solicited and yada 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 so um yeah I, i'm glad that you're gonna get caught up because i can't wait to hear what you think about it for me this week i'm trying a new number one um i i said before i think i said it on twitter that i you know my pull list is kind of running short because a lot of books have ended and I haven't picked up a lot of new stuff. I've mostly just been heads down reading <laughs> One Piece and all my X-Men books and the occasional image book and, and stuff like that. Um, so I've been trying out some new number ones. If anybody has any recommendations out there of stuff that I've missed over the past maybe four or five months, I'd love to hear your suggestions. You know, Send me a tweet at Mike Rappin. But otherwise, um, I'm checking out Alienated number one. This is by Simon Spurrier with art by Christian Wildgoose. The premise is three teenagers each an outcast in their own way stumble upon an unearthly entity as it's born. I think they get some powers or something from that. And it really, this sounds kind of cool to me. It kind of reminds me of the premise of that movie Chronicle that Max Landis did, despite Max Landis and his whole problems. Um, it, but I think that this comic is going to be less tormented, kid goes crazy, and it's going to be more um, teens make bad choices and also have a lot of power, adolescence is tough kind of thing. I'm up for trying a number one that explores teen angst, because if I haven't made it clear before, I read X-Men and teen angst is basically my life's blood. Um, I can't get enough of it um, to the point where I can barely recommend books to my wife because she goes, is this teen angst? Is this teen drama? (laughs) And uh, because she's not into that stuff as much as I am. So um, yeah, I'm really excited about this. I I like Cy Spurrier as a writer. So um, I'm totally for trying a new number one from him. Both of your guys' number ones this week sound really good. And for some reason, neither one of them are are in Goodreads. So I'm not going to remember to ask for them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't worry. We have the show notes and I will make sure to talk about it again on the show in the future just um just, this, yeah tartarus number one sounds really interesting i just looked up jack t cole's art and holy smokes i might have to try that number one just for the art it looks beautiful yeah 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 so we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we're gonna be talking about something that i have literally no idea about and i'm hoping that kate and nick have something to say about it because boy oh boy i i am just so not not plugged into this thing so we're gonna come back in a quick second we're gonna talk about that For our show this week, we are talking about comic books for a non-standard reading ability, such as audio, large print, and dot, 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 other question mark. Um, I really only know so much about this in that I have one example. So Kate and Nick, you guys have you know done your due diligence and delve into this, and I want to be here as the, the I don't know anything kind of guy to ask you some questions. Um, when we were talking about this, this topic, I know you guys kind of dove in to do some research, as I said. Um, what were some of the things you found about this? I know, Kate, like you've been, you were kind of pushing this topic, or at least I think you suggested it. So I'm going to toss to you first to kick us off, and then we can go from there. 
Yeah. So what made me consider this topic was when I found the audiobook um, adaptation for Nimona by Noel Stevenson. Mm-hmm. And it was made with a full cast audio recording, which was really nice for knowing who was speaking. Um, I did notice that there wasn't quite as much in the way of setting description, which was already very simple in the graphic novel. Um, but there were a lot more like background noises or, or sound effects in general, even in comparison to what was included in the, in the visual graphic novel, which was a really nice difference. Like I do recommend if you like Nimona to check this out. It was available at my library, so it might be available at yours. And then I know that some other graphic novels have been adapted in an audiobook form. So I'd be mm-hmm. interested in checking more of those out. Yeah, so when, you know, if you've read Nimona before, like, do you think this adds a, I mean, obviously it does add a, like a little bit of a different experience, but do you feel like it was like reading the graphic novel for the first time? Or did you dive into this by just trying the audiobook first and then reading the graphic novel? Because I think that's the actual experiment here right. for, for folks that can see. I mean, because obviously stuff like this exists for probably for folks who can't, see um and so they they only have audio options so um it'd be interesting to know or maybe they're low vision i don't want to speak for all uh you know folks with vision impairments but um yeah i guess did you feel like you were getting the full experience um compared to reading the graphic novel i think i got the full experience i had read the graphic novel already so i already knew what was happening but i think that the addition of all the different sound effects really aided in replacing all of the background action. And then there was some description as to what was happening if it wasn't clear from the sound effects, but it wasn't like a, a long entry as, as a description. It wasn't a whole paragraph. It would just be like a sentence. And I think for mm-hmm. a book like Nimona, which is a, a reasonably simple book, it doesn't have like large backgrounds with a lot of detail or anything like that. So I think that it was perfect mm-hmm. for an adaptation like this. So yeah, I think that if you're not able to read the visual graphic novel, I think that you would get the full experience from Nimona, even though it's a little bit different of an experience. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Nick, have you tried any of this kind of stuff or based on your, your research here? Did you, uh, did you find anything that's worth discussing in the same vein? Um, yeah, uh, I, I didn't get a chance to really delve super deep, but I did find, um, in fact, there actually are some um, blind and visually impaired uh, writers who are actually, I, I guess what I should say is that instead of having comics that are being adapted into a strictly audio format um you have some writers uh, some of which are um blind or visually impaired that are creating comics uh that are just strictly for this medium you know what i mean like they're not mm-hmm. they're not being adapted they're being created for this specifically um there was a site uh called comics empower and uh based on an article i saw on the la times i think it's now defunct um, but it was an online comic book store for the blind. Um, and uh, with that site, they actually hosted several writing competitions um, for um, blind and visually impaired comic book writers. Uh, and one of them was a, a man by the name of Chad Allen, who wrote a book called Unseen about a blind assassin. Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll have links in the show notes. Uh, you can listen to the first episode for free at his website. Uh, 
it's 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 pretty interesting stuff honestly i i enjoyed what i did here uh and he's certainly getting a lot of traction and attention for this he's had articles in the guardian he's had articles um with the la times as i said Mm -hmm. uh before um and i think that that's that's really important to see things that are just that you're you're no longer just simply adapting other content but that you're reaching a point where content is being specifically made um i think that that's you know important um i was reading from another uh i was reading another article uh from a um a uh, columnist who you know he said he loved comics when he was younger uh, and kind of got frustrated with them when he got older. And he said that what's really helped him a lot, being a, a blind and visually impaired uh, individual, um, was having um, companies release the full scripts to comics. Um, oh. He said that reading those actually helps a lot more in terms of getting all of the, the details and um, sort of the angles that are being used and the camera shots and all of the different uh, text that comes with the script gives him sort of the real context that he needs um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to sort of better process the information. Um, and so uh, he was making sort of a, a push for comic book publishers, comic book creators to um, put their scripts out there and uh, sort of make them uh, available for people to, um, uh, yeah, let me see if I can remember the, I'm trying to get the site here, but he, he was basically saying that there is a site for these scripts to go to, but that there needs to be more. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So back back in my my early days of comic reading, where I thought, hey, you know, I I could write a comic book. That seems like a thing. Um, I I know there was a bunch of there handful of sites out there that had like a collection of various creators out there who would just release scripts publicly. Um, and I, I you know I found a bunch of like Warren Ellis and Jim Zub and Mark Wade, Brian Michael Bendis. I mean, a lot of people have put out their their scripts, but I guess I never considered the idea that you basically handing a comic script over to someone who's using like a screen reader or a Kindle or something that allows them to um, use screen reading technology to go through and read that script out loud to them could be an experience that would um, make a comic book come to life for them because obviously like the the writer um, the person who's putting the script together has to be extremely descriptive for the person who is actually drawing the thing um, man that's a side of this I, I never even considered um, and I, I I find a lot of this really interesting because I've been dealing with a lot of um, accessibility stuff in my day-to-day work you know I work on the internet I build things and um, obviously one of the big things that's been a huge push over the last I think decade has been making sure that things are super accessible for folks that are using screen reader technology Technologies or that have are either low vision, um, blind, or maybe they're using a non-standard keyboard, or they're using different tools to you know navigate your page. So you have to build your, your website or whatever application you're you're doing in a certain way so that they can navigate it as easily as someone who's got a mouse. And so you have to think about the way that pages and things are laid out in order to allow those different pieces of technology, such as the built-in voiceover tool for that you have for the Mac, or there's uh, JAWS, which exists for Windows. There's an NVDA, I think, is another big one for Windows. It's one of the most comprehensive um, accessibility tools out there. And so... I, I was curious to talk about this this concept because in my mind, uh, and I, I've talked to people in the past about this, that you know, comic books are incredibly visual, right? They are they are a medium that 
really is based around this idea of sequential images and text. So as someone who can't necessarily consume those the same way as someone who is sighted, um, it's interesting to, to hear about these different things being adapted. Like I'm looking into this accessible comics thing in this book that someone put out called 100 Demon Dialogues based on the link that you guys posted. And I, I honestly want to sit back and be like, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to try it with a screen reader and see what it's like um, to see how well it flows for someone who can see, but um, to try that experience because it's something you can do. Um, and I wonder if other comic book creators are conscious of this or if they do also fall into the camp and I don't blame them for this, um, saying that, you know, it's it's tough to to create a story maybe for for someone who is not using or who is visually impaired. Um, but yeah, I, this this is crazy. I mean, and this is just one side of things, you know, like audiobooks and then screen readers are a different thing. Um, but I think the, the thing that we're coming down here is a lot of the times these accessibility things are kind of built for or accessible comic books or um, some of these special types of formats are built for folks who can't see. Um, because I think if you if you can't hear um, or if you you know are low hearing, um, I think reading a comic book still works fine just for you. Um, but yeah, I, I don't mean to completely derail this, but I, I, that's that's really interesting. Man, I, I think I'm gonna have to grab this hundred demon Di- dialogues book because it's, it's it's on Gum Road for pay what you want, but I'll, I'll throw a couple bucks its way just to just to experience it. Um, but yeah, Kate, Nick, you guys have other things you want to dive into here? I don't mean to completely hijack the conversation. Yeah, I read an article about a woman who has rheumatoid arthritis and so she has problems holding books and turning the pages of books and of course she said you know she was really into her name was Ren she was really into spinning and knitting and and things like that so everything in her life was about her hands and except mm-hmm. that when her arthritis flared up she couldn't do any of them so somebody finally bought her an e-reader <laughs> Right when they were starting to come out. And so all these different ways that you can turn the pages of an ebook um, or a graphic novel um, in an ebook form really helped her out. And, you know, you can click on the sides of, of the screen at the time or you can just swipe or you can just tap. Um, but I feel like there's got to be a way for you to, to tell it to turn the page at this point. Like if you don't, if you completely mm-hmm. do not have the use of your hands at all it seems like you should just be able to say, okay, next page. I mean, like all of the technology is there. I I just haven't found any evidence that that is a thing yet. And that kind of bothers me. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that Kate, because that technology totally does exist. Okay, good. (laughs) Like a a lot of, a lot of applications. See, I I thought I had nothing to say about this topic. And yet here I am. Uh, A lot of technology that's out there, um, especially when it comes to eBooks and digital readers, um, when you're using them on, on like Android devices or on iPads or even in some Kindles. I think the Kindle Fires, you know, they kind of have an Android base. So they all have these utilities that exist that allow you to talk to them. You know, they have like a talk interface that say, you know, click this or tap that or go to the next page. There will be um, some applications will have like built-in utilities to say, hey, when we hear, when the accessibility tool hears this phrase, you know, function this way. So if you're reading, say, in Comixology, I I don't know if this is the case, I haven't tried it, Um, but in theory, it's there. Um, You can use this ability to talk to your iPad or your iPhone or whatever, and you can say, go to next page or swipe left, swipe right, and it'll actually simulate that gesture on the device or simulate that tap um, on the device so that you don't have to actually use your hands to do that. Um, And I I find that that technology super, super cool um, from the handful of times that I've played around with it, and it, it makes me feel 
really bad that something like this has it's taken so long to get this way obviously we had to wait for the tech to get there but it it, it warms my heart to know that it does exist for people who need it um and it works for the most part pretty well it's always getting better i think apple and android or apple and google and even windows like they're always making things they're trying to make things better and easier for people um i talked to accessibility experts in the past and they've said that windows is by far the most accessible operating system you can use so if you are someone that has some sort of needs like if you're visually impaired or you you have your low hearing or, or something like that or you don't have full use of, of your hands or something like that um you, that operating system works the best for you so um to see like windows machines with um in a tablet interface that are easy to carry around for people that maybe don't have full use of their their hands or um or you know all these things that i've talked about before these these different things to know that windows has this really good ability to actually be interactable is great to hear um, so yeah, I think that, that to get back to what you're saying, I think it does like there are those those tools do exist. Um, it's just a matter of knowing about them. And I think it's it's something that you as a person maybe who's writing a book or building a piece of technology you need to be aware of that there are people out there that are going to be trying to use your software using these things. And therefore, you should be building them in order to be helpful and useful and designing them so that they make logical sense when you try to navigate throughout the application um, and stuff like that. But uh, I have a lot to say about this. I am <laughs> I'm sorry, this, but this is all this is all really cool. I'm glad you guys are thinking about this too, um, because it's it's interesting and it doesn't just necessarily apply to comic books. You know, it applies to a lot of different things. But I think when it comes to comic books, it's it's super important because we you know comic books are for everyone and they should be for everyone. Like that is a blanket statement. It doesn't matter who you are, um, include whether or not you need these types of tools to read them. Um, which is where I think Comicsology's guided view comes in really interesting. And I don't want to again. I, I'm going to pass back to you guys to continue on with what you were talking about here um, before I dive into that whole wormhole myself. Yeah, there's another um, technology out there that was released recently uh, in the last couple of years. And this goes back to if you um, have problems with your vision. So it's called the Shape Reader, and it has different tactile shapes, and they uh, represent different characters and, and different emotion. And they are completely, um, there are braille panels in them. So not everything is represented by by basically what it would be text. They're kind of represented by different types of, of shaped codes i guess (laughs) and you do Mm -hmm, have mm -hmm. to you do kind of have to take a workshop to be able to figure out how to read these because they are so unusual and they do not have any kind of of illustration to go along with them for a person who has full use of their vision Um, so if you went to uh, the website which is shapereader.org it has a picture of this and it's so fascinating to see it and the online um the the online the website goes through panel by panel and tells you what it means. But then if you actually wanted to sit down and read one of these, these quote unquote books, you would have to um, learn the code for, for this book. And the first one is called um, Arctic Circle. It's a 57 page original graphic novel. And it's about two climate climatologists digging in the North Pole. So the first mm-hmm. page of the book has a couple of braille panels that tells you what the dialogue is. And then it also has panels that, that, are just emotion they just say anxiety and that's the meaning of the panel but then you also have some panels that will say something like it's this the face of this character or um what like what tool they're holding what they're applying the tool to um you know like there's an iceberg there's an ice pick there's um the results things like that so i i think that it's absolutely fascinating 
this is this is amazing. I'm looking at the website right now, just hovering over. If you go to the shapereader.org, if you're on like a, I think a desktop computer, which is what I'm using, I, I can't even describe it. It's just all these shapes that I could see if I had something in front of me and I was putting my hands on it. Maybe I wouldn't know the shapes, but I, I can understand the tactile sensation just by looking at it. Oh man, this is, this is insane. This is so cool. Um, I, wow. I'm, I'm glad you found this. This is awesome. Yeah, and this, I can't find who developed it. It might be a whole company, but it comes out of mm-hmm. Belgium. So okay. that's kind of cool, like Franco-Belgian comics. That's what that reminds me of. Like, Right. I mean, leave it to the folks in Europe to actually, you know, help people. Um. <laughs> yeah, and then there's another, there's another technology out of Europe that it, it, it mostly uses more of a, a Braille-type tecti- tectile sensation. Um, mm-hmm. This is by Philip Meyer, a Copenhagen-based interaction designer, which I didn't realize was a thing, but sounds amazing. Mm-hmm, and as mm-hmm. far as I can tell, he's only created one of these, but it's called Life. And you have an outside circle, so you have like a border around what it is he's quote unquote illustrating, and the the different layout of the bumps and how like they fade toward a certain border or a certain side of it into just being flat paper or whatever it is, um, mm-hmm. and those represent the different characters. So like if if there were to be a a text or i don't think that this has any text at all it's just the illustration so you just have these three mm-hmm. characters um figuring out their relationship and this this could be quote unquote read by by a person with with um st- standard vision mhm that's that that's that's really cool i i love this idea of the like tactile interface um for folks that are familiar with bla- or braille um yeah, I, I know I've seen like these, there's there are advanced readers and stuff out there that allow you to like scan a page. I, I think it was in the Daredevil TV show, but I, I think it's a real piece of technology where you scan in a document and then as you're sitting there, you read a line, you click next, you read a line, you click next. That way you don't have to print off hundreds of pages of Braille. Instead, this thing just reforms as it goes through each line of the document, line by line. Um, it sounds to me like this is kind of a similar idea, but for the, these different tactile sensations representing different images... Um, but yeah, I think that's again like the other th- the the shape reader is kind of a different way to interpret something, and you have to learn it. But once you learn it, you get all these tactile tactile sensations understood, and then you um, you can you can read things in a completely different way. So that, that's yeah, man, this is <laughs> there's some really cool stuff out there for folks who are you know visually impaired and, and stuff like that. That's awesome. Um, Nick, what about you? I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. You've been a little quiet. <laughs> no, uh, I, there there are definitely um, to sort of shift away at least for a brief moment um, from uh, uh, sort of the the topic at hand. Uh, another thing that I sort of found that was was interesting was that um, comics have obviously sort of been a real aid to people um, in the dyslexic community for quite a mm-hmm. while now. In terms mm-hmm. of being, um, there are certain elements in comic books that um, make reading. I don't know if easier is the right word but um sort of uh make it less of a challenging experience um mm-hmm. than what it would be with ordinary prose and um but there have been there's been sort of a push recently to um 
make them more uh, dyslexic friendly. Um, and there was a piece about this, I think it was in Popular Science magazine, uh, and it pointed out that, um, it says, quote, um, research suggests why comic books can help dyslexic readers make sense of a narrative. The Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity has noted that, in general, short snippets of text and typographic choices like sans serif fonts, bold text, large letters, plenty of space around characters, and no italics make texts easier to read for people with uh, sorry, make text easier for people with dys- dyslexia to read. Interesting. Um, but what's interesting is that apparently um, there are still issues because they note that um, in general, text in all capitals, which in 2017 at the time that this article was written, um, text in all capitals, which is still the standard format for speech bubbles and narration in comic books, is harder for dyslexic people to read than mix- mixed case text. Mm-hmm. And so they were uh, kind of advocating for a switch to mixed case text. Um, uh, as they point out in the article, they say that um, there's really not a huge reason or there aren't many reasons to, to stay with all caps. Um, all caps was done at a point in, I think they said the late 19th, early 20th century when it was more a concern about being able to print and it was right. easier to print right. all capitals. Um, so in that regard, uh, a lot of these advocates say that there's no real reason to not um, move away from it. Although uh, a lot of like typography um, lettering experts have said that um, that there is still a problem, which is that mixed case text means that you're dealing with, I think they call them, and it's such a weird word because it doesn't sound very formal at all. I think they called them danglers. So letters like a G... Yep. Or letters yep. like a Y that have stuff that fall below the line. Um, that stuff um, messes up the per character line spacing for letterers. It's harder to give even space between the letters because of the dangling. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It was it was very, very interesting because there was sort of a back and forth on like, can we do this? Should we do this? And then there's, of course, a lot of people that have said that now um, in in comic books um using mixed case text is almost now seen as more of an artistic choice it's used for setting tone it's used for setting um like a like a like more looks like someone writing in like in a font for their journal or something like that you know what i mean like it's more indicative of a stylistic choice right. than a functional choice um and i think they pointed out frank miller's god was it batman year 1 or something like that did use um, mixed case text mm-hmm. and it was kind of in vogue at DC for like maybe about two years and then then they said we're we're not doing this anymore so yeah um, well nowadays I think you see that it kind of depends on the writer as well and the letterer of the book yeah um, I, I think that and I think this is a whole topic in itself itself and for the first time in many episodes where I've said that I actually put that in my notes that we should do an episode on this you know talking about where the challenges and the successes are in terms of lettering and I think for instance you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of Warren Ellis and I noticed that over the last maybe three or four years all of his books have used mixed case um, hmm. and I think that that is a choice I, I know that that's a choice by him um, where and, and you also see that like for instance Chip Zdarsky and Matt Fraction Sex Criminals uses um, mixed case and I think if you look at more independent books you're seeing more mixed case and I don't know if there's just a specific narrative yeah. reason or if it's just a creative choice or whatever or it's the letterer but I, I think you're starting almost, to see yeah sorry go ahead Mike. you're starting to see a little bit more of the shift towards 
using mixed case, maybe it's because folks just want to try to cram a little bit more to their speech bubbles or they want that that mixed case emphasis so that they can put things in all caps to indicate that someone's yelling versus someone speaking. Um, I, I really would love to, to talk to a letter about that. That would be awesome. And then mixed, uh, sorry, not mixed case, um, full uppercase gets tricky when you're trying to like um, sort of like cop. Sometimes when you're trying to like copy it into another document or whatever, you're like, well, what letter is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like occasionally I mean, you, that gets tricky. So it's it's a whole thing, but it was it was interesting because there are definitely advocates um, for those in the dyslexia community who say like we would love to move away from all caps, but mm-hmm. it's just so tricky because um, you know capitalization and and whatnot. Like it's not just a functional thing; it's also a style choice now, and it's almost become yes. more synonymous with style choices. So. Right. It, Sometimes I think that's also like a house style too, right? Like Marvel and DC yeah. are doing it for a majority of their books, oh, all especially caps, when they're flagships. It's like a big two soups thing. Like, yes. right? It totally exactly. feels that way to me. So, exactly. Um, I don't know. It was it was a fascinating discussion to read about. As you said, it could be its own episode. Um, yeah. And I think we, like I said, I put that in our in our backlog. I think we got to find us a letterer and uh, bring him on the show and have him talk about that because I think that's a really interesting thing. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, did you guys have any any last minute thoughts about you know comics for for different reading styles? I mean, I know we talked a lot about like audio and 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 fonts and stuff like that. But was there anything else you guys wanted to touch on before we wrapped up here? I don't have anything more to say on on that, but I did find a a webcomic called The Disabled Life that is about two Canadian sisters documenting the jerks and perks of hashtag the disabled life. And interesting. It looks fantastic. I mean, it's got this dry humor to it and it focuses on the on their experiences in a wheelchair. And I'm not a person who's in a wheelchair, but I did find these things relatable in some ways. I mean, like they they drop more things than maybe the average person would. They have problems like walking up, you know, with stairs, a place that that only has stairs, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I appreciated I appreciated these things that that I've experienced before. You know, like I've had problems with my wrists and my ankles sometimes, but um, I also learned some things that I never would have considered about. A person in a wheelchair specifically um so yeah i mean even if you're you're not in a wheelchair yourself i do suggest checking that out because it was a good time reading some of them yeah and, and on that on that same note there uh, is someone out there that runs a uh database called i think it's the comics what was it disabled cartoonist db um their name is mary mari naomi uh they're on twitter as marina naomi I'll, I'll put a link to the um to their twitter um where they they are an advocate for you know disabled cartoonists and stuff and i'm sure that they would have a lot to say about this um i have them on a short list for potential guests in the future so fingers crossed if we can make that happen but um yeah that's i it's it's a fascinating side to, to, to things i think like always speak with people who um have or you're disabled to understand like where their shortcomings are or not shortcomings, I guess where they find struggle points to deal with things um, like with comics and I mean, life in general, it's always interesting, which is why we get a lot of very interesting comics by folks in that, in that realm um, that help us broaden our horizons and understanding like where struggles are and how folks who aren't uh, in that camp can help make things easier, you know, and not, not more of a struggle in the future. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really cool. Uh, and we'll post a link to all this stuff in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I guess, Nick, do you have any final thoughts? I mean, I, I guess in summary, I would just say I'm, I'm really happy uh, that, well, one, I'm disappointed that it feels like we're finally getting around to realizing that 
there is in fact a demand you know to create these products uh mm-hmm. you know i'm disappointed mm-hmm. that it took that long but uh, i think some of it was the tech as you said uh and i'm just i'm just really happy that we've reached a point where this isn't something anymore where people i think just sort of shrugged and said like it's not going to happen like yeah. it's not possible um this is just one of those things that just can't be done and i feel like i i feel like we're there we're we're hearing suggestions we're getting ideas people are creating things and yeah i mean uh everyone should be able to experience comics if that's something they want to do and i i think we're getting closer by the day so yeah yeah, and I, I, my final thoughts on this, you know, like you said, Nick, the tech, it took a little bit of time. I know that one thing when I worked over at Comixology that we heard um, from customers was, you know, I, I'm an older person or I'm someone who's low vision and guided view was something that allowed me to get back into comics because I could actually experience these large pages um, and not have to manually zoom in or do something because, you know, maybe they had issues with their hands as well, but... You know, we heard people talk about how that ability to use Guided View to zoom in on these full panels, even on an iPad, while it might be grainy and maybe less high, less high quality than you want as a as a sighted user or someone who doesn't experience any of these issues, um, it allows someone who is low vision to actually continue to read their comics and see what's happening in a panel. When sometimes those panels can be really small and you have to zoom in super far um, to actually see what's happening, but to be able to just simply swipe and go through that, I know we got like Comicsology gets a lot of positive press for that because Guided View really does help um in terms of just allowing you to read something that may be harder to read because even a physical copy of a book may be too small for someone but if you can get that you know an an 11 inch ipad or even on a computer you know you've got the the ability to go in through guided view and zoom in on these panels um it allows people to read things i think that's really cool um and i I think comiXology should hold that as like a point of pride because it's it is a fantastically simple technology quote unquote right i realize there's a lot of manual labor that goes into making that work but um it is. It's a simple concept that I think helps a lot of people, um, whether they are, you know, have a lot, like they're very low vision, or they just have some, you know, issues with their with their vision and they can't necessarily see things. Um, guided view helps a lot. I think that's really cool. So, yeah, I guess thank you guys for doing the deep research on this. And, you know, we've got a bunch of links and stuff that we're going to throw in the show notes. Um, and, yeah, I guess if anybody out there who's listening, if you've, if you've experienced things or you have some other opinions um, uh, or other examples of where you've seen accessibility, I guess, used for allowing people to read comic books i'd love to hear more about it um if you have any examples or if you personally have experienced something like that i'd love to hear more but um yeah thank you guys again uh you can follow us all on the internet you can follow nick at death star plans kate at kate l fear you can follow me at mike rappin on twitter and you can follow the show on twitter and instagram at ircb podcast been trying to post more regularly i hope i hope people have been following and appreciating all the work that i do (laughs) (laughs) oh boy this show is powered by fans like you on Patreon. Find our Patreon at patreon.com slash ircbpodcast. Join now for exclusive audio, articles, previews of the schedule, early access to top of my pile posts, and more. Our Goodreads group is a lovely community of comic friends. You can join our yearly reading challenge, and you can also comment on our weekly threads. Uh, uh, the 2020 reading challenge just went up, and the February book of the month is Sex Criminals Volume 1. You can check all of this out over at ircbpodcast.com forward slash Goodreads. Head over to ircbpodcast.com for our pron- pronunciation guide, Discord server, zines, merchandise, and everything else IRCB. And if you haven't already, please rate and review our show, five stars, on iTunes and beyond, and we'll read your review on the next episode. Email the show with what you've been reading, recipes, corrections, your thoughts and comics at ircbpodcast at gmail.com. 
Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all the music for our show. We love them to death. Go check out their latest album. It's amazing. Xander is a good guy. High Fiver, all that stuff. And he's also the editor of the show. He's fantastic. We love him. I want to say thank you to Kate and Nick for being on the episode this week. Thank you to everybody out on the internet who interacts with us and for listening to the show. We love you to death. Thank you for everyone that hangs out with us on our Discord. You people are the coolest cats on the internet. And until next time, comics are good and so are you.